My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am excited to be in this text. It is a really cool text, and, and this is the last Sunday uh, in this room for us. So that's, uh, you get to go out with me. Sorry about that. Um, but I remember in college coming to visit, and I sat right over there, and just how much cool stuff has happened in this room uh, that has glorified God. It's, it's pretty amazing. And then to think uh, the cool stuff that will happen uh, over in the worship center, too, is even more amazing that God's work just is not confined to a particular space. Amen? All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put the passage on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, then afterwards go over to a Commons Bookstore and we'd love to give you a Bible. But Romans is a book that Paul wrote, or it's a letter that Paul wrote to Christians living in Rome, and it's just full of all kinds of deep theological truths. Anybody confused at all? It's pretty clear, right? It's laid out simple. He said that we are dead to sin, but you still sin. But there's grace, so it's okay. But it's not okay to keep sinning just because there's grace. We still need to obey. You just don't need to keep the law. It doesn't mean the law is bad. The law is good. The law is good because it helps us sin more, holding us captive. So it's holy and good. We just don't need to keep it. Nothing confusing about that, is there? Yeah. So we're going to help clear that up today with a passage where Paul seems a little bipolar. So that'll help. Um, but what's, that's not what's scary. What's scary and what is helpful is in this passage we see ourselves. And I think it's safe to say that there's something wrong with our world. I mean, that doesn't need a lot of convincing. You watch the news. I think there was just a story this week that came out with like 80 people executed in North Korea and just kind of all kinds of messed up stuff happening around our world. Well, what is behind a messed up world is what? Messed up people, right? You have people that struggle with greed and pride and self-centeredness and egos and um, all kinds of things. Well, we're not exempt from that in this room. Like when you look at your own life, we struggle with being greedy. We struggle with being self-centered. We struggle with uh, doing things we wish we didn't do. We struggle with um, selfishness, self-centeredness, and jealousy. We have those issues. How many of you, have you ever been mad at yourself? A few, few of you are perfect. But most of us, is it, like we've been mad at other people. We've been mad at, you know, the government. We've been mad at, you know, Hollywood, whatever it may be. But if, if you've ever been mad at yourself, maybe you've ever e- even called yourself a name. And we won't go through what names, but it's like, Jake, you idiot, right? Like, what, what were you thinking? Or maybe have you ever done something that you know is bad, feel bad about doing it, tell yourself, I'm never going to do that again, and then what? You do, see, you already know. <laughs> and then we do it again, and then it just kind of intensifies. Now I'm really mad at myself, right? Now, now I'm never going to do this. I'm, you know, I mean it this time, right? And then what happens? You do it again. That's right. <laughs> he knows, right? <laughs> How old are you? He's already in the process, right? It's just like, you're born depraved. Uh, This issue always comes up with me with food, right? Like, I am going to start my diet today. I'm not going to have carbs today. And that's the day my wife makes those cookies I told you about one time. It's like, tomorrow, I'm not going to eat carbs, right? Just this week, it was Thursday, I was studying um, in my office. And it just, I do love this passage. And I I said, I'm going to I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to take some time to fast, that God would do something um, special in this time through this text. It's about 1.30 in the afternoon, and I'm going strong, and I get an email that said, hey, our salt lunch just got over. There's free food in room 100. <laughs> and I'm thinking, 
I should go say hi, right? <laughs> and I walk out of there with like two buckets of take-home food. Um, so if the message is bad, that's, that's why. Um, but you've been there, right? You, you've been at a restaurant, and it's like they're working around the table, and you're thinking, salad, salad. I, I've shut my menu. I'm getting the salad, and they come to you, and it's like, what would you have? It's like grande burrito, extra sour cream. It's just like, where did that come from? You know, it's like, why did I do that? And I'm glad that you can laugh at my struggles. Um, it's amusing. But we can't. We joke about that. But it's deeper than that, isn't it? We've been in those situations where maybe it's gossip. And every time you're around one person, you always find the conversation going somewhere you regret. And you walk away from those conversations thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have let it go there. Next time I'm not, I'm going to stop it. And then you get with that person again, and guess what? You're caught up in a conversation. Man, I'm an idiot. Or maybe it's lust, Right? I'm not going to click on those websites. I'm not going to look at those things. But then there you find yourself doing it again. Man, an idiot. Or maybe it's contentment, right? Like you feel bad that you're not content with the blessings that God has given you. And you, you are so blessed. And you say, I'm going to turn over to you. I'm going to be a thankful person. And then those, that couple invites you over that has a nicer house than you do, right? And you leave discontent with what you have and mad at yourself that you're discontent. Or maybe it's on a positive level. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I'm going to start reading my Bible more. Every day, 5 a.m., I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my Bible. And then at 5 a.m. comes and we don't get up. We do things we don't want to do. And we don't do things we say we want to do. Folks, something's wrong with us. Something's wrong with you. I mean, here's how Paul puts it. This is uh, Romans 7. We'll start in, in uh, verse 15. It says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I... I had a professor that... I'm getting tongue-tied, so I stopped. But I had a professor that called this passage the doo-doo passage, just because there was so much... So this is, stay with me here. Says, now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Anybody identify with that? It's frustrating, isn't it? I, I, we all feel it. I googled self-help books this week and there was like 200,000 options that came up. And we obviously want help. Like, how do I get better? How do, how do I fix myself? What books do I need to read? What programs do I need to get on? And there's this sense in us that it shouldn't be this way. The world shouldn't be this way. More personally, I shouldn't be this way. Like, I should be able to do things that I say I want to do. And I should be able to not do things that I say I don't want to do. Right? Is that expecting too much? Am I being idealistic? Are we idealistic? And some of the things that we expect as fallen people. How about marriage, right? You see a newlywed couple get into marriage and, I mean, what could go wrong? <clears throat> marriage should be easy, right? Two people love each other. 
going to share a bathroom for the rest of their lives. What could go wrong? <laughs> but there's an expectation of marriage should, you know, should go well. Family reunions, right? Holidays are coming up. Families getting together. We're family. We love each other. There shouldn't be difficulties. But yet we wrestle with what we think should be in, in reality. And that's, that's true for Christianity too. Christians should be like Christ. It's in, our, it's in the title, right? We should be honest people. We should be compassionate people. We should be generous people. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. One of the reasons you claim for not being a Christian is because you know some Christians and they're hypocrites, right? They do things that they say are wrong. Or maybe that, that is you. You're here and you are a Christian and you've done things that you say are wrong and you've caught yourself saying, how can I even call myself a Christian? We wrestle with what should be in, in reality. And today we're going to try to take an honest look at struggling. Why, why is it? Why does it happen? Why shouldn't we be surprised with it? Why should we expect it? And how should we react to it? What, what should we do about it? So Romans chapter 7, here, here's what's going on. Paul's uh, writing to Christians in Rome. And the Roman, in Rome, his audience was primarily Jewish Christians, people that grew up Jewish. They loved the law. They knew the law. They followed the law. And then they saw Christ as their Messiah. And they had this conversion. But their background is, is being Jewish. And Paul's making some pretty big statements about the law. Like, you don't need to keep it. <clears throat> You're dead to the law. You're not under the law anymore. You're released from the law. And you can imagine how they might be taking this or how they might be misunderstanding it. Maybe even in the past couple of weeks, your feathers have been ruffled, ruffled a little bit. Or did he just say that out loud? <laughs> is, that, is that right? Now, let's not forget, Paul was a Pharisee as well. And he's this, he was a Jewish Christian, right? He grew up knowing the law. He grew up following the law. He grew up loving the law. And as he's writing this, he's anticipating where the pushback will be, and he addresses it. Like in uh, chapter 6, verse 15, he poses these questions that he knows his readers are going to be posing. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. He's saying because of his arguments, people are going to think, are you, am I, do they think I'm telling them that it's okay to sin? He's like, no, I'm not saying that. And then in uh, 7, verse 7, he says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Because the things that he's saying, he's like, they could come to this conclusion. Am I saying that it's okay to sin? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that the law is sin? No, I'm not saying that. But he is saying some controversial stuff. He is saying, you are not under the law anymore. Now you can imagine their pushback. That's ridiculous. You can't tell people that. You're like starting chaos. You tell people they're not under the law. You know what's going to happen? Exhibit A, Corinth. That's what's going to happen. You're going to have a church where people sleep around and they don't even know to feel ashamed by it. You're going to have people that show up for communion drunk and they don't even know it's wrong. Laodicea is going to happen, Paul. You're going to have a lukewarm pe people that God wants to spit out of their mouth because they're not doing anything. You can't tell people not to love the law or that's what you'll get. right? That's the pushback. But what do we get with the law? Israel, that's not like an obedience poster child, is it? That's kind of Paul's point. It's like, it's not really about the law. Paul goes into this autobiographical discourse making the point that the law is not the problem, we are the problem. Right? He's like, I agree with the law, it's spiritual, it's good, I just have a problem keeping it. The law is not the problem, I am. Paul's not law bashing. He's just saying, despite the law, I'm still a sinner. 
who's going to rescue me from this body of death when he says that? He's just saying, as much as I love the law, it doesn't do that. It doesn't rescue me from me. It doesn't change my behavior. It doesn't fix what's broken in me. And in this, in this section, you see both an esteem for the law and a reality that he's still a sinner. Let's take a look at this. Back up to verse 14. He says this, For we know that the law is spiritual. Right? Esteem for the law. I know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So even though the law is spiritual, I'm still a sinner. Verse 16. For if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Law is good. Would, would love to live up to it. Verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. But I have this sin in me that keeps getting in the way. Verse 22. says, For I delight in the law in my inner being. Love it. Delight in it. Verse 23, but I see my members, or in my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I love it. I just struggle keeping it. Verse 25, it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll get there. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh serve the law of sin. Here's the reality that he's getting to is a believer is both indwelt by the Spirit and harassed by the flesh. As a believer, we're both indwelt by the Spirit and harassed by the flesh. Like, I'm, I'm dealing with, it's not that I don't love the law, it's just I can't keep it. It's not that the law is not good, it's just I'm bad. I got a problem here. And I'm not law bashing, I'm just saying I'm a sinner. I'm both indwelt by the Spirit because I want to do good, but I'm harassed by the flesh and every time I want to do good, evil's right there with me. Let's look at his experience. Uh, verse 15. This is how he says, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Try telling that to a judge, right? One <laughs> me. One me. Sin is in me. It's his fault, right? No, it's your fault. It's in you, right? The reason that you sin is not because of somebody else. It's because you're a sinner. The reason that you get angry is not because somebody did something to you. It's because anger is in you, right? The reason that you lie is not because somebody puts you in a bad situation. You lie because lying is in you. Like, it's in us. We can't escape it. He's like, the reason I do it is because it's in me. He goes on, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. For if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It's like every time I want to, like I really want to, like evil's right there. Like, I've never wanted to eat carbs more than when I said I'm not eating carbs, right? It's like every time I want to do good, every time I want to be more Christ-like, I, I meet an opponent. Like, he's right there all the time, and it's from within me. He goes on, so I find it to be a, a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. 
But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he's got this law. And it's not like law, like here's a list of good rules, here's a list of bad rules, and I find myself keeping them. Think of law like law of gravity. It's like a force, right? Every time I try to fly, gravity pushes me down. Not that I try to fly. <laughs> Tuesdays, I'm going to try it again in my flying attempt. I know I can't. But, but you jump, right? <clears throat> gravity pushes you down. Every time I do that, I meet the law of gravity, right? And Paul's saying, every time I want to do good, I run into this law of sin. That's just, it's like this force that's pushing on me. It's just pushing on me. Every time I want to do good, I, I, I run into this law that, that's this force that's, that's resistant to that. He goes on, he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Not, not how, not what, but who. And who's the who? Jesus. You don't have to whisper in church. Yeah, Jesus, right? We went over last time. If I ask you a question, you don't know the answer, what do you say? Jesus, Jesus right. The who's Jesus, Right? It's Jesus. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will? Like someday. Someday it's going to happen. It's like will in the future. I can tell then, and in verse 25 he says it, so then or until then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So until that happens, until that rescue from this body of death, when I'm in this body of death, this is my life. This is what I live. I live in this struggle. I live in this tension. I live a, as a kind of divided man. Sound depressing? Let's pray. Go home here. here here's, don't, don't hear this. Um, it's not necessarily talking about success or failure, but that these two realities exist in him. He's, this is my life. I, I have a desire to do good, and I also live with this flesh, this law of sin pulling at me and meeting me every time. J.I. Packer put it this way. I think it helps. He says this. He says, Paul is not telling us the life of the wretched man is as bad as it could be, only that it's not as good as it should be. Do you get that? It says, Paul is not telling us that the life of the wretched man is as bad as it could be, only that it's not as good as it should be. So Paul is voicing his distress at not being a better Christian than he is. Right? I, I used to struggle with this, and I don't struggle with that anymore, but I struggle with this. I, and now I don't struggle with that anymore, but I, but I struggle with this. And I'm always just struggling. I'm just trapped in this body of, of sin and death. Like, I want to be a better Christian. He's, he's frustrated. Have you ever been frustrated that you're not being as good of a Christian as you want to be? I want to read my Bible more. I, I want to pray more. I wish I knew more. I wish I was more bold with my neighbors. Right? I, wish I wish I would share my faith better, but I, but I have a fear of man. I, I wish I would uh, have better wisdom, but I have a laziness of studying. I wish I had, I mean, you have these different struggles, and his heart is like, I want to be better than I am, but, but I'm not. And it's not that the Christian lives in continual defeat. Don't hear that. Uh, there is a struggle, though. And no Christian is going to live in continual victory over sin on this side of heaven. So when we struggle, <clears throat> when you struggle, and when we fail, how do we respond to that? What are we to make of that? And I want to kind of point out three observations um, that, that are kind of a side note of, of what the text brings up, and then we'll kind of get to what I think the big idea of this passage is. Um, but I'm going to point three things out, and then we'll, we'll tie a bow on it. Here, here's number one. Number one, realize you are in a war and start acting like it. 
Realize you are in a war and start acting like it. Verse 23 says this, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Somebody is waging war on you. Or put it this way, you are waging war on you. How messed up is that? <laughs> we are broken. And John Piper, he's a pastor in Minnesota, he says this. He says that Christians um, need to have a wartime mentality. It's the idea of when you're at war, literally, you have kind of heightened sense, senses. Like, I'm, I could be attacked at any time. I'm listening. I'm aware. My eyes are up. He said Christians need to live that way. Like, we could be attacked at any time because, like it or not, we're at war. We are being attacked. You will be attacked. And the war is not with people outside. The war is inside us. We have a war going on. Of what we both have a desire to do good and, and a flesh that pulls us away from that. And we can never escape that. You don't like get a go home and rest from that war. You're always in it. That's rough. That is rough. And the Christian life is not this happy-go-lucky, easy life. It's the narrow road. It's a struggle. It's a fight. It's Paul talking about his life saying, I fought the good fight. As in, my life was a fight. From the moment I started following Jesus until I died, my life was a fight. You want in? <laughs> So struggling means there's resistance. You are fighting back. It's a good sign. If you are not struggling, that doesn't mean you're not sinning. You're sinning. Okay, I'll go out on a limb on that one. You're still sinning. And remember, Paul wrote this, the apostle, the one who uh, healed people and um, wrote most in the New Testament, was caught up to the third heaven. He wrote this, and he wrote this at a time in his life where he's probably as godly as you expect to be on this side of heaven. And he still has struggles. He's still frustrated living in this body of flesh and death. If you are not struggling, it just means you're not bothered by sin or you're not resisting it at all. That's a problem. There's a big difference between a divided man and a sellout. And maybe the problem for us is too many of us don't act like we're at war. We don't act like we're at war. We don't act like we're going to be attacked. We're kind of a pushover to sin. There's not a lot of fight in us. Now, now wait a minute, because I, I, I know the pushback here, if you've been tracking with us. Didn't Tim a couple weeks ago tell us not to fight sin? Yes. Don't fight sin. That is not a good fight. You fight sin, you will lose every time. That is not the good fight. That's a stupid fight. That's a fight you will lose, right? That's the 300-pound bald biker guy that carries brass knuckles just for fun. You're going to get whooped. Okay, what did, what, did Paul, or what did Tim tell us? Don't fight sin, but what? Present yourselves to God. That's our fight. It's a fight to abide. It's a fight to belong. It's a fight to present yourself to God. It, it, that's the fight, the fight to stay close to Jesus. When Paul in Galatians tells us, if you don't want to carry out the desires of the flesh, then fight the flesh. Is that what he said? No, he said, if you don't want to carry out the desires of the flesh... What? Walk in the Spirit. Our fight is to walk in the Spirit. Our fight is to abide in Jesus. Our fight is to present ourselves to God, however you want to put it. But it is a fight, and you are in a fight, and you need to fight to be close to Jesus, and you need to fight every day to stay close to Jesus. And it's not an easy road. And we need to have a more of a wartime mentality, like attacks are coming, and if I'm not close to Jesus, if I fight this on my own, I'm going to get whooped. So I need Jesus. I need to depend on Jesus. I need to stay close to Jesus.
All right? Number two, your sin should bother you. Don't ever get used to it. Your sin should bother you. Don't ever get used to it. Verse 24, he says this, Wretched man that I am. That word wretched communicates complete anguish or distress. Paul is bothered by his sin. He is bothered by his sin. Now in an environment where we rightly hold up grace, I think we need to say grace doesn't mean that we now get to laugh at or take sin lightly. God hates sin. The cross makes that pretty clear. Like, I'm not putting up with it. I'm not tolerating it. I'm not looking the other way. I'm dealing with it, and it's not getting into my kingdom. God hates sin. He doesn't think lying is no big deal. He doesn't think gossip is funny. He doesn't think hatred is entertaining. He doesn't think greediness is okay. And when you look at Paul here, what we see, Paul is struggling. He's like, I'm doing things I don't want to do. I'm not doing the things I do want to do. Who's going to set me free from this body? Who's going to set me free from this death? Who's going to release me from this struggle that I'm in? I hate it. So let me ask you, do you hate your sin? Do you hate your sin? Or have you kind of gotten used to it? Like maybe you hate other people's sin, right? Like I can't believe he's like that. I can't believe she does that. I can't believe they're about that. But when it comes to your sin, you don't see it as that bad kind of gotten used to it. It's like a bad smell that you've gotten used to. There's a, we would make the trip in Iowa from where we live to where my folks live. It's about a two-hour drive, and kind of in the middle on that drive, we would drive by this um, sewer treatment plant, and you could smell it before you could see it, if you know what I mean, and like kind of come, before you come around the corner, all the other kids like, oh, Rudy. It's like, no, it's outside. It's outside. You kind of come around this corner, um, and there it is. And you know what I saw around this sewer treatment plant? Houses. And I'm thinking, how could you live there, right? Like, how, who would want to live there? How could you do it? You know the answer to that question? You just get used to it, right? You just get used to it. Like, I do not want to get used to that, right? Because everybody you hang around with is not used to that. You still smell like it. But that happens. We just get used to it. Maybe our problem is we've gotten used to our own stink, like, your sins just stop bothering you. I'm sure we still see everybody else's sins, but I've gotten used to mine. If we could learn to be bothered by our sin more than we're bothered by other people's sin, how better off would we be? And what's clear when we look at Paul is he hates his sin. He hates the struggle that he's in. It's like, rescue me from this body. I hate it. This may be painful, but, but so helpful. Would you take some time and examine? We're going to have communion after, so you have an opportunity. But would you take some time and you examine yourself and get in touch again with the awfulness of your sin? Not your spouse's sin, not the government's sin, but your sin. Your sin should bother you. and Don't ever get used to it. Number three, struggles should increase our love for Jesus. And this really starts to hone in with what I think the big idea of this passage is. But struggles should increase our love for Jesus. 24 says this, What a wretched man and I am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now don't miss this. In the midst of struggling and failing, look how Paul reacts to Jesus. He's thankful, right? So struggles, failure, gratitude. 
Is that, is that an equation that we do a lot? Struggles, failure, gratitude. In the midst of just kind of laying out, uh, uh, kind of opening his heart and giving a bad resume, look, look, I'm doing stuff I don't want to do. I'm not doing stuff I do want to do. In the midst of kind of spilling his guts, he's not afraid that God is not going to like him anymore. Why? Because he knows that God does not accept you for you. God accepts you because of Jesus. So as a struggler then, and in the midst of failures, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. And how you react in the midst of your failure communicates a lot on how much you really understand the gospel. I think of my three-year-old Rudy, who's just the cutest, stubborn, strong-willed little girl, just like her mother. And (laughs) sometimes she needs to be parented. Um, So when she kind of disobeys, we'll go back to the bedroom and we'll talk about how you need to obey mommy and daddy. And then she'll kind of get a little whack, right? And then as as soon as it happens, she turns and just tears running down her face. She goes like this. Like, okay, it's over. Now hug me, right? Hug me. You're still my dad, right? I know I disobeyed. I know I failed. But now give me a hug. Now she's kind of trying to do that before the spanking. Like, all right, let's just skip the spanking part. It's like, she knows she did something bad. She just runs to you like, like, I'm so let's skip the spank and go right to the hug. But how do you react? When your sin is exposed, when you've blown it and you know it, do you run to him or from him? Do you feel like you kind of have to clean yourself up first? Like I need to have a good week or two before I can present myself to God? I mean, right when you fail, do you ever wonder, how could God love somebody like me? And you know the answer to that question? Jesus. That's how God could love somebody like me. So as a struggler, how awesome is Jesus then? In in the midst of our sin, when, when the sin has gotten the best of us again, we can lift our arms up to God, fully expecting to be embraced because he's our dad. And he's our dad because we've been adopted into his family through who? Jesus. Thank God for Jesus when struggles happen. So do you really understand that? I mean, do you, do you really get it? I mean, more than mentally, in your reactions, do you get it? Like in the midst of your sin and failure, you lift your arms to God, knowing you're still loved and accepted. Here's, Paul goes on. There's an unfortunate chapter break. This is what he says. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Like I'm in this tension. I'm a failure. I'm a struggler. I slip. I'm a messed up person. But the next verse, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying in the midst of struggles, even though that we fail, even though that we struggle, even though that we mess up, there's no condemnation. There's no more punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not treated as our sins deserve. Despite your failures, God still hugs you back when you lift up your arms to him. And that's not just a someday reality. I mean, it is a someday reality. You are in this body of death, and you will deal with it till you die or Jesus comes back. I mean, the someday reality is, yeah, we will finally be released from this. We will finally be really set free, but it's not just a someday reality. The news that this is changes things now. 
And you see it in Paul's attitude. Look at this. In the midst of his struggles, this is present tense. I'm not doing this. I wish I was. I am doing this. I wish I wasn't. In the midst of this kind of struggle that he's in, he does what? Thanks God. He thanks God. He rejoices in Jesus Christ. Now, what if our struggles didn't get us down as much as they increased our worship? Think about that. What if our struggles, what if your struggles didn't get you down as much as they increased your worship? So what if something that would normally push you down lifted you up? Who doesn't want that? I mean, what if our struggles didn't get us down as much as they increased our worship? And sometimes we get so wrapped up in ourselves, don't we? Our struggles and our failures make us embarrassed. Our pride is hurt. We don't like looking flawed, and we stay in this depressed, I'm an idiot state, right? Woe is me, woe is me, let's get ice cream. And that's just where we, we live. We, we don't get out of that. But in the midst of that, if we could just for a moment stop thinking about ourselves, we, like Paul, we go from frustration to worship. We would go from saying, wretched man that I am, to thank God for Jesus. And who doesn't want to make that transition? In the midst of our struggles and failures, we've got to get beyond thinking about ourselves and thinking about our Savior. And when we do that, our frustrations will turn into worship. Here's what you need to remember. I don't think you'll probably take away those three things we pointed out. Um, but if you could remember one thing, I hope you remember this. Real Christians struggle, and struggles drive real Christians to Jesus. Real Christians struggle, and struggles drive real Christians to Jesus. And I say real Christians because sometimes there's this thinking that if I sin and I blow it, and I say I'm never going to do that again, and I do it again, and I, and I sin and I blow it again, then, then mu- I must not be a real Christian. Right? Like maybe it didn't stick. But listen, if you are a Christian, struggling is a part of the gig. Join the club. And on one hand, we have these new desires and new passions that we want to please our Savior and we want to follow Jesus and we want to abide and we want to be obedient. But on the other hand, we're wrapped in flesh that's pulling us to sin. Not liking your sin, resisting your sin, wanting Jesus is a good sign. Struggle. Keep struggling. I'll struggle with you and someday we will be set free from this body and death. But until then, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. The other side to this is when we struggle, uh, when struggles happen and when failures happen, there's a tendency to think, God probably doesn't like me anymore. Or I need to clean myself up first so I'm presentable to God. But real Christians know that their acceptance is not based on how they do but what Jesus has already done. And in the midst of struggles and failures, we run back to Jesus, we lift our arms right to Jesus, we praise Jesus, we worship Jesus, we thank God for Jesus, and we know we're accepted because of Jesus. You see this a little bit in the story of the woman of the city that barges into a Pharisee's house where Jesus is having dinner. There's a, I think it's in Luke, but Jesus is at a Pharisee's house, and the guy's name is Simon. Simon invites Jesus over for dinner, and he kind of skips some of the customary um, hospitality issues that you'd really show somebody that's a real honored guest in your house. And they start eating, and while they're eating, this, this lady, this woman from the city, barges in to his house falls on her knees in front of Jesus, weeping, wetting his feet with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair, and kissing his feet. And Simon is taken back, right? Like, one, 
Somebody just broke into my house, right? And is all over my guests. This is kind of freaky, right? And he's thinking, well, Jesus must not really be a prophet because if he was, he would know the type of woman that's touching him and he wouldn't have anything to do with it. So he's kind of shocked standing back. And so Jesus does what all of us would do in that situation. If somebody breaks into a house, we would say, let me tell you a story, right? <laughs> so Jesus says, Simon, you look perplexed. Let me tell you a story. And he tells him this story. He says, there's a money lender. And he lent two different people some money. He lent one guy $50 and he lent one guy $500. And he came back to collect the money that they owed him, and neither of them could pay him back. So he says to both of them, okay, let me tell you what, it's on me. Both of your debts are forgiven. And then he asks Simon a question, who do you think is um, more happy about that? What do you think the answer is? Yeah, 500, right? It's the guy with 500 is more happy about that. And then he goes in to kind of apply the lesson to Simon and say, look, you're missing it. Now, the point of that isn't that if you want to love Jesus more than sin more. The point is, Jesus is precious to those that know they need him. And struggles remind us how much we need Jesus and how precious he is. And for those of us that understand the gospel, it, they drive us back to Jesus. Who will set me free from this body of death? That is an excellent question. Who is going to set you free from your body of death? Who is going to set you free from this doing things you don't want to do, not doing things you do want to do, brokenness? The law? No, it doesn't. Your own willpower? No, you've tried it. Who is going to set me free from this body of death? There's only one answer. And what's that answer? It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. So as strugglers, thank God for Jesus. Real Christians struggle. Hear me. Real Christians struggle. And struggles drive real Christians right back to Jesus. So the next time sin attacks you from your own heart, you find yourself doing something that doesn't line up with being the godly person you want to be, and you're frustrated, and you're mad at yourself, you may even call yourself a name, Jake, you idiot. Here's what you do. Thank God for Jesus. Grow in your love for Jesus. Grow in your appreciation for Jesus. Run after Jesus. Lift your arms up to Jesus. Abide in Jesus because there is now no more condemnation for those that are in him. And if you're new here, let me give you just kind of a heads up on us as a church. We are a church full of strugglers. Which means we are also a group of people who are so thankful, so in love with, and absolutely worship Jesus. Because as strugglers, he saved us. And we're well aware of that. Amen? We're going to move into a time of communion right now. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a time to remember Jesus and how he saved us. And here's what's going to happen. There's going to be some guys that come down the aisles, and they're going to pass trays down the rows. And on the trays are elements that represent Christ's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And the band's going to play some soft music, and you're going to have some time to sit and reflect and think. And you can take those elements whenever you're ready on, the, on your own. But if we do this right, here's what's going to happen. As you sit and reflect on yourself, you're going to remember your own stink. And as you examine the, your own awfulness of your sin, you're going to come to a point where you're probably going to say something like, wretched man that I am. 
wretched man than I am. But we're holding some elements that remind us of God's grace and his love and it's sufficient for us. And in the very next breath, you're going to say, thank God for Jesus. Because he is the one that does set me free from this body of death. And our reaction to this truth that we remind ourselves every week is we're going to lift our arms to Jesus. And we're going to worship Jesus. And we're going to love Jesus. And we're going to praise Jesus. Because he does set us free. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you how you declared your love for us despite our sinfulness. And as a struggler, Father, you know that there has been plenty of times where I've sat and said, Jake, you idiot. What a wretched man that I am. But you have turned our mourning into dancing because of Jesus. You have set us free. So, Father, in this moment, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you break our hearts of our sin but you also fill our hearts with gratitude because of the cross. We love you, Jesus.